All right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17. We're going to be moving pretty quickly, so get your paper and pens out if you want, because we're going to be quoting a lot of verses. I have just a, a few of them marked in my Bible to go to today. But we're going to talk about the topic of the kingdom of God. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 20. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We can guide, lead, help us to see what you want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God comes not from with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. We're just going to read the two verses uh, for today. The kingdom of God. This has lots and lots of debate right now. We're going to talk, the first part of this message is going to be, what did the Jews think of when they spoke the kingdom of God? And then what did Jesus tell them that the kingdom of God was or is? So we're going to look at this for, for a couple moments because the Jews understood the idea of the kingdom of God. They were waiting for the kingdom of God, but they only had one half of the picture of the kingdom of God, and that was that the king, after the seed of David, was going to come to power and he was going to reign forever. End of story. That was what they were looking for. Remember their time, they are conquered by Rome and they don't have a king sitting on the throne. So they were waiting for the Messiah to come and set up a kingdom forever. This was their expectation. That's what they were waiting for. They, a couple hundred years before that, they had the Maccabeans come along and they tried to build a kingdom and many other false messiahs had come along and they were trying to build a kingdom and they'd grab their whole bunch of people and, and have a big battle trying to get rid of the enemy. And so Jesus is coming along and he's being declared to be the Messiah. So they're waiting for him and this is what their accusation, show us the kingdom, where's this kingdom if you really are the Messiah? Where is this kingdom? When are you going to throw off the shackles of Rome? Now this is a problem that even the disciples had. We're following the Messiah. We're waiting for, we're waiting for the kingdom to show up. And he kept telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. That did not compute with them. When they heard, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to res they, did, they stopped it, I'm going to die, and forgot about listening even to the rest of it. But he says, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to resurrect, I'm going to come back to life. But they, had a tr they stopped it, I'm going to die. It didn't match what they were expecting, so they're going, doesn't compute, anything after this does not get listened to. You know, uh, we were kind of talking about that last night. How many, of, how many of us or our kids or grandkids listen to half of a sentence and then don't listen to the rest of it? You know, and we do the same thing all the time. We listen to half of a sentence and not listening to the rest of, rest of it. And the disciples kept doing this all the time. Well, Jesus, you're not supposed to die. You're, you're the Messiah. You're going to set up a full kingdom. So we are going to stop thinking about this because you said you're going to die. And they didn't really listen to the rest of this. So what does it mean when they were talking about the kingdom of God? In Exodus 15, verse 18... Moses said, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now, this is something in their mind that the Jewish people understood that God reigned forever. He was the creator. 
he reigned. They understood that it was a spiritual reigning uh, on one side, but they also understood it that he was in control of everything forever. Now, we as Christians, we fully agree with that, I hope. I mean, it's, you know, how, how else are we going to do it? God says that all things work together for good for those that love God and called according to his purpose. He could not make that promise if he was not in control. So he is the one that reigns forever. Psalm 29.11 says the same thing, but we're not going to read that one. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in, those, and in the days of the kings of God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms and it shall stand forever. This is Daniel's interpretation to the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of the, the image of gold, silver, bronze, iron and clay and the, and the rock came out at the end and crushed it so that there was not even an appearance of it. And Daniel said, this is God's kingdom. It will stand forever. It will get, and it, because it's so, so powerful, it will wipe out even the remembrance of all. So we can get a picture here as we go through the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the Jewish people were expecting a literal kingdom in their lifetime where God would rule on earth. And we're going to get to some of those verses where it says that he will rule from Jerusalem and that it would be forever. That was their understanding. They're waiting for a Messiah. You know, they, they had this, you know, when you study the kings of Israel going up to the time of the Babylonian captivity, they're going, no, we have an eternal kingdom. We can't, we can't be, ever be destroyed. God's, God's temple's up here on this hill. We can't be destroyed. He's going to rule from here in Jerusalem. We can't be destroyed. And then they got sent into captivity. And then God rescued them after 70 years. And then they're saying the same thing in Jesus' day. Well, we got God's temple up here. We can't be destroyed. You know, we're waiting for the Messiah to come to start this whole, whole you know, eternal realm. We, we can't be destroyed. 70 AD, they were destroyed. To be reestablished re, re again in 48 of last, last century. So we've got all these things going on. But their hope was what God said. There will be an eternal kingdom coming. That was their hope. And this is what they're telling Jesus. They're going, basically, they're saying, hey, if you really are the Messiah, when are we going to see this great move? When are we going to see you take over? On one side of the coin, the scribes and Pharisees were willing to accept Jesus as Messiah if he did what they expected. And one thing about this, and we need to be very careful, if you have an expectation of God being or doing something, you're most likely going to be disappointed if you, you know, he'll do what he says he's going to do, but not in the way we think he should do it. You know, I have not seen him act the way I expect him to act very often. He always does something in his own way, his own time, his own way of doing things. And if you want to say, God, this is the only way that you can do something, you're going to be very surprised. Why did Jesus use so many different ways to heal the blind, to, to heal the sick? was because he didn't want people to say, well, if you want to heal the blind, this is what you do. You go pick up some dirt, spit in it, and rub it in their eyes. You know, he did it once. I mean, that must be the way it's done, right? No, he did it different ways every single time. So one time he just touched them. One time he made clay. You know, uh, one time he said, go, 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 do this. And, you know, why? Because he did not want to be put in a box and saying this is how things are done 
This is the value of grace. As we grow in grace, we learn that God gives us what he says he's going to do for us, but not by following a whole bunch of rules. You know, we as human beings, we both like and don't like rules. You know, as long as the rules are something we think we can live with, we love rules. Give me the 10 steps to be a successful in business. And so I can follow my, those 10 rules. All right. Uh, and we got books all over the libraries and all over the bookstores, the, the five steps to this, the 10 steps to this, the 20 steps. And most of us in Christianity go, God, I just want to have the 10 steps to live a good Christian life. Well, the only problem with that is the Christian life is a relationship with the God of the universe. And there aren't 10 steps to get there. There's, no, there's only one step, and that's to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then he comes in and he turns my life upside down to show me how to walk that walk. And so, so and same for you. So this is where we are at with this. Um, Zechariah 14.9 tells us that he will rule the whole world as soon as I get there. Fourteen nine says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. So God tells the Jews that they were going to be him ruling over the entire world. Now for them, it was much smaller than what we think about the world, but God still is going to rule over the whole world. And this is kind of interesting because what has been our goal of Satan lately? One world government. Now, he tried it one other time in Nimrod's day. There was one world government. It was a terrible time to live. If you want to study ancient, ancient history and look about what Nimrod did, he enslaved the entire known world at that time and made things bad, worshiping, worshiping false gods. God has promised that there will be a one world government ruled by him. But before we get there, we'll have the tribulation period where the Antichrist comes up and he says, I'm... I'm Messiah, I'm going, to, I'm going to rule this world. I'm going to bring peace to this world. As absolute chaos follows. And how many times, if you listen to the news, things going on, you listen to people, they're waiting for that one great ruler that's going to draw all the world together to be in peace. Now, when man is in charge, there will not be peace. Because they will not be doing what's good for everybody. And so we have this process going on. And then we're going to just turn to Micah chapter 4, verse 7. And here's where the Jews really go. And I will make her that halts a remnant and her that was cast off for a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from thenceforth even for forever. Now, if you don't remember, Zion is the po poetic name for Jerusalem. So God is going to rule in Jerusalem forever. So this is something that the Jews are waiting for. The, the Jews of Jesus' day are waiting for that eternal kingdom that the king, the Messiah, was going to. And they're waiting for the king to rule the whole world. And they're waiting for him to rule in Zion or Jerusalem. And so all of these things are going in, and this is their, in their mindset when they say, show us this kingdom. <laughs> you're claiming to be the Messiah. You're claiming to be all of this. You're believers, of, you're followers of believing this. 
We're not seeing a great army being built together like all the other messiahs were, were, were doing. He goes, when will we see this kingdom? And, you know, today even we have a lot of people that have the same question. When are we going to see the kingdom of God? Things keep getting worse and worse and worse. And, you know, it's amazing to me how many people, even, even people that don't know God, seem to think that we're in the end days, you know, how much longer can this world last? And without God, it can't last much longer. You know, we're seeing our world being turned upside down. Everything that God says is good is being called bad. Everything that God says is bad is being called good. And woe to you if you tell them that they're wrong. You know, it's an amazing thing. You know, you hold it. No, God says, oh, what's wrong? You know, who, who, who are you to put all these truth, truth claims on us? Now, it's an amazing thing to me that there is no absolute truth unless you disagree with their absolute truth. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's absolutely true that you can do anything you want, and if you bring in a rule then you're, then you're, that God has a rule, then you're, then you're totally intolerant, and they can be intolerant of your intolerance. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing. You know, they're very tolerant as long as you agree with them. As soon as you disagree with them, they are very intolerant. And we lose jobs, we lose our businesses, we lose our status, we lose everything because we take God's standards. You know, and it's an amazing thing that as God, when you stand on truth, you can be tolerant. I really don't care whether you believe truth or not because truth is going to win out in the long run, so I don't care if you believe the truth or not. You want to go up to the cliff or, or the edge of a building and step off and say, I don't believe in gravity, it doesn't matter that you don't believe in gravity. You're going to fall. <laughs> Period. So truth does not care whether it's believed or not. It can be very tolerant because truth always wins. Lies have to be intolerant because they don't stand up to truth. And our world does not stand up to truth, and they, don't, and they know it, and so they hate to have truth shined on their lies because they have no standing for it. And that is when they attack you personally. They don't attack what we believe. They attack us personally. We are bad. We are terrible. What bothers me, and I, you know, many of you have heard it, I dislike all these conservatives are standing on a truth claim, and then they get just as bad at insulting and attacking the person instead of the belief. We don't have to. Truth holds up. When I was in Christian school, we learned about evolution. Why? Because it's not true, so it didn't matter. We, we knew what other people believed and why it was wrong. Because it doesn't stand up against truth. We need to understand that when we truly believe truth, we are in strong place. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He doesn't worry about trying. He didn't spend his time arguing all the other belief systems out there. And I've had people ask me, well, how do you witness to any particular group? And I'm going to tell you it's real easy to witness to anybody. We're sinners. Jesus lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and he, accept him and you'll go to heaven. They go, well, they don't believe that. I go, it doesn't matter. It's the truth. I don't have to sit there and argue about why what they believe is wrong and all of these different things. Get them saved, and then God will work on them to understand truth completely. We don't, our job is so simple. We give the good news. Now, the good news, of course, starts with the bad news that their sinner's going to hell. But the good news is that Jesus died for their sins so they can go to heaven. Real simple. Don't get yourself wrapped up into, well, I don't know what they believe or this, that, or the other thing. Stick with what you know, the truth. And this is so important for us, the kingdom of God. The Jews understood half of the picture. 
that there would be a physical kingdom of God on this world reigning forever. They just didn't understand the rest of it. And this is what Jesus told them. He says, you're expecting a physical kingdom. He goes, you're looking for somebody to be able to show, say, go here, go there. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. He goes, but the kingdom is within you. Now, was he denying that there would be a physical, real kingdom later on? No, he didn't deny that. He just says, you don't understand the full truth of the kingdom of God. Now, this is something that we as Christians run into frequently in our lifetime, not understanding the full completeness of a truth. Now, God's word is very simple. Any child can, believe, can understand the salvation message. But do you know that there are people that have spent their entire life, 40, 50, 60 years, trying to understand salvation? Okay. I just gave you, it's a real simple thing. You know, we're sinners. Jesus died for our sins so that we can be saved. But there are so many layers within that, that simplicity that you can study nothing but salvation for the rest of your life and never get to the end of it. And you know, the good news for me is it doesn't matter what scripture, what doctrine I'm talking about. It starts out simple. Any child can believe it. Any child can understand it. But if you really want to understand it, you can spend your entire life studying it. And this is what Jesus is telling these guys right here. These were the, the, the scholars of Israel. He's going, you don't even understand what this is all about that you're talking about. And can you imagine, you know, if you've ever talked to a smart person, they don't like to be told that they don't know, they don't know something completely. You know, and so he's telling them, you guys don't really understand. You don't understand that it is within you, God living in you with his kingdom. So what do we have for a future? Well, we have the millennial kingdom. In Revelation verse, uh, chapter 20, verses 3, four, three through 4. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you should not watch and shall not, it shall come as a thief and you shall not know what hour is upon you. You have a few names. Did I read? I knew I was in the wrong one. That's the message to the church. Of, let's go to the right one. Chapter 20. <laughs> I knew reading there. It was a good verse, but it's not having anything to do with what I'm talking about. Revelation 20, verse 3. And cast him that is Satan into the bottomless pit and shut him up and, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and the thrones was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which were, had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had they received his mark on their foreheads and in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first part of the physical kingdom of heaven. The millennial kingdom. When, when does that happen? After the tribulation. The church will be taken away. Satan will, will have a rule for seven years. Jesus will come. He will cast Satan into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then let him go at the end of a thousand years. Jesus will reign for a thousand years. And then Satan will raise up an army against him. Now, that is hard for us to picture. 
You're being reigned over by God for a thousand years and people are going to decide that they don't want God anymore. Now, in one side, it's not so hard. Adam and Eve did it in, in the Garden of Eden and they didn't even have a sin nature to help them out for a thousand years. Now, why, you know, people go, well, why will God do that? Well, if you're paying attention to what's being said in today's world, everybody goes, well, if we just had a perfect world, everything would be, everything would be good. Well, it wasn't in the Garden of Eden, and it won't be at the end of a thousand years where there's a perfect world where everybody's living a long time and no, no, no theft, no hunger, no, no disease, uh, and people will still rebel against God. It'll be the last big lie that Satan and man has created. Well, if, if I just had a perfect world, I would be a good person. If I just had a no temptation, no, no chance to do anything wrong, I would be a good person. Well, I don't know. It's not been my case. It doesn't matter. I don't need rules. I don't need anything else to, to make wrong decisions. Uh, even little babies, you know, when you tell them no, they will immediately go out and do the wrong thing that you told them not to do. doesn't take much. It's not hard. And so the, God will say, fine, we'll give you a thousand years of a perfect environment and you'll still fail. Then he will destroy the, that, all of the heavens and earth and he will bring the new heaven and new earth into, into place in Revelation 21 and 22. And then they'll be perfect. All sin nature gone and people will do what they are supposed to do. Um, Zechariah 10, 9 verse 10. And I will cut off from the chariot of, the, of Ephraim and the horse of Jerusalem and the battle and how it shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen and dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river even to the ends of the ocean. So here he's saying, I'm going to be able to start this perfect kingdom. Now, it's an amazing thing that God has already told us what's going to happen. We have Psalm 2 verses 6 through 9, Micah 4, 1 through 2. Two, um, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4, God says there will be coming a kingdom. There will be coming a kingdom. A forever kingdom. We read some of those verses for the forever kingdom already. God has a kingdom that is going to be forever. Now I'm really looking forward to the forever kingdom. The Revelation 21 and 22, you know, it is really fun for us as Christians. You know, it's been said, and I love this, you know, we win, I've read the end of the book. You know, if you really want to know that what happens at the end of the book, you know, have you ever, have you ever read something and you wanted to find out how it was going to end, so you go all the way to the end of the book at the beginning and ruin the book, but in this case, you know, if you really want to know what's going to happen, read the end of the book. We win. Jesus wins. We are his church. We win. He creates a new heaven, a new earth with no sin nature, no, no disease, no problems. And at that point, he says, you will make the right decisions and we will have eternity with him in a perfect environment. I am looking forward to that. I will love the day when I, number one, don't have any problems inside me causing problems. Now, we've talked about this. You know, we have, we have three problems in us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can sin without any help and will sin without any help. 
Then we get Satan and his demons who come in and whisper in our ear all over the time to say, well, me, you, know, you seem to be doing okay at the moment. Let me help you out. You know, let me put these things in front of your eyes that will tempt you. Let me put these things into your desires that will tempt you. You know, and so he helps us out. You know, we, we will fall anyway, but he helps us out. Aren't you looking forward to the day when none of that happens? No temptation from inside, no temptation from outside, just your motivation to love God and follow him. That eternal kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. So this is Jesus' answer to them. You don't understand what you're saying. You know, how often did Jesus tell people that they didn't understand and give them a story that they didn't understand anyway? You know, you had the, you had the, the lawyer going, you know, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus asked him, what do you say? And he gave him the two, you know, love the God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then his next question was trying to justify himself as who my neighbor is. And Jesus then gave him the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, and said the guy that was the neighbor was the one that you hated and helped him. You know, he didn't tell him your neighbor is within so many miles of you. He didn't tell him. He goes, the neighbor is the one that does God's will. You know, this is what Jesus did over and over again. He very rarely gave people an exact answer so they would have a rule to live by. What did, what did this lawyer want? Well, tell me who my lawyer is. That every, you know, my, my neighbor, is it everybody lives in Jerusalem? Is everybody in Israel? Everybody within 500 miles of me, are, the, are those my neighbors? And that's not what Jesus said. Again, the rules that were given are not to be put, in, to put, to put God into a box or allow us to say, this, I follow one, two, three, four, and I'm okay. Uh, he says, I'm going to give you a rule, and I'm going to give you a rule that you can't keep. You know, don't you get sometimes frustrated like I do when God says, you know, I want you to do something really easy. Love, your name, love, love those that hate you and despitefully use you. And you're going, uh, God, uh, could I have an easier rule? Can you give me something just a little easier? That, that person doesn't deserve to be loved. And God said, yes, I know they don't deserve to be loved. Love them anyway. Because we didn't deserve to be loved. We don't deserve to be loved. Not only did we not deserve, we still don't deserve to be loved by God. And he says, I still love you. Go and do likewise. When we start trying to live by God's actual rules, we find out that we cannot keep them. You know, I love it when people will go, I, I keep the Ten Commandments, so what about the last one? Thou shalt not covet. What does it mean to covet? Want something that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to somebody else. You know, how many of us can ever get past that one? I can't, you know, we all want things that aren't ours. And if you watch TV or read magazines, they've got an entire industry that helps you want things that, are, that aren't yours. It's called advertising. Now, they're on to encourage you to buy it, but they still want you to want things that aren't yours. That's their whole, that, that's their whole purpose. They violate the, the, the last commandment for that very reason. They go, I want you to want the stuff that you don't want, that you don't own. And so we have all of this going on. So what kind of things did, the, did we see in the Bible that are about this? 
that we, God works on things that are impossible? How about the birth of Isaac? Now, Isaac's birth was to a, to a very young, young couple, 190. You know, uh, Sarah goes, you know, when, when the angel said she was going to have a baby, it says she laughed. He goes, I am past menopause. Let's make it easy. I'm past menopause. I don't even, I do not even have a chance in the world of having a baby because I am, my womb is dead and dried up. I can't have a baby. And God says, yes, you're going to have one. You know, uh, we have these different stories that we look at, you know, all these different things that happened that we go. Joseph, sold into slavery, had had a dream that his brothers was going to bow down before him and his father was going, and mother were going to bow down to him for some strange reason. So his brother said, fine, we'll make sure that you never, we never see you again. We're going, to put, we're going to sell you into slavery. From all human perspective, there was no way that that dream was ever going to come true. But God. How many things has God put in your heart that says, God, there is no way that you can do this in my life because it is just an impossible thing? All of us have probably had something where God has said, I want you to do something. Now, I can't tell you how many people I've met that God has asked to be teachers in the church and they're going, not me. <laughs> Never, no way, no how. But when God is the one that's in it, it'll happen. We need to be ready to say, God, I am ready for the impossible because you are a God of the impossible. Talk about impossible. He created the heavens and the earth and he formed this world. That is quite a feat. And he did it from nothing, which is even a better feat. I've got nothing and I'm going to create a world. I've got nothing and I'm going to create people to populate that world. Oh, and by the way, those people are going to sin and fall and short, fall short, and I'm going to have to redeem those people in that world. And the strange thing about it, he knew that before he even created man, he knew that they were going to fall and still created us. So all of these things that we have is God building his kingdom and saying it is a spiritual kingdom. He wants to live in us. This is the whole thing that God will do for us. He wants to, us to walk by faith, and he wants to walk in with us in him. Do you understand the value of that statement? We are not given a bunch of rules and said, follow these rules. The Jews had broken down the Old Testament to have a, just 613 rules. How would you like to live by 613 rules? Knowing that if you violated any one, God didn't have anything to do with you. Heaven help you if you only learned 612 and violated the 613th one. I didn't know that was a rule. Ignorance of the law is not, a, not an excuse. That's what we're told in the, even today's world. The, the fact that we have thousands and thousands of laws and you don't know every single law and you break a law does not mean that you can say, well, I didn't know that was a rule. God wants to live in us. And I'm just going to quote these where I've got them marked in the Bible. I'm not going to read them all. Galatians 1, 15 through 16, that he is revealed in us. When God lives in us, he will change who we are and we will become more like him to reveal his nature. We will become more loving. We will become more forgiving. We will become more gracious. We will become more like him. 
Uh, and this is important. This is where people go, well, I don't see Christ in you. You say you're a Christian and I don't see Christ in you. Well, unfortunately, what they usually say is that we didn't become perfect and that's never going to happen. But I am bothered by the same thing. If I see somebody who's been a Christian for 20, 30 years and I do not see love, mercy, kindness from them, I have a hard time saying, does this person really know Jesus? Because it's, you expect them to be changed. And this is what the scriptures tell us. Ephesians 3.17 says that he makes his home in us. Think about that. God makes his home in us. The infinite God puts, a, puts himself inside us. Now, I can't even fathom that. That takes God to do in the first place. An infinite-sized God living in a finite-sized person is a pretty big deal. That's a miracle. And yet, he says, the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in us. Uh, Col uh, Col um, Colossians 1.27 says, Christ is in us. Uh, John 14.20 says, I am in you and you are in me. You know, these verses are so powerful for us. Uh, verse John 3.24 says that he dwells in us. Do you understand the power of what these verses are talking about? Christianity is listed as a religion, but it is not a religion. Religion is rules, trying, giving rules so that we can please the, a deity and hope that we've done enough good things to get, get accepted by them. Christianity is a relationship with the God of the universe, and he did all the work. He died on the cross, becoming sin so that we could be saved and then he can indwell us and take us into his relationship that we were created to be in. Adam and Eve spent every evening talking and walking with God. And they traded that away for the lie of Satan. Our hope is one day to be having that relationship with him. And as Christians, we do have that relationship for we walk and we talk with him. You know, and we enjoy that relationship. I do not have to follow a bunch of rules. I do not have to be a certain way. You do not have to be a certain way following a bunch of rules to be able to, to walk with God. So this is something that we are looking at. God ultimately created us to be walking with him, to have his kingdom in us. And he had a kingdom with Adam, with Adam and Eve. They traded that kingdom we're looking for the day when we get that kingdom back and the new heaven and new earth will bring that, that kingdom back. That will be the fulfillment of the kingdom that the Jews were looking for. When he physically reigns on earth, the new heaven and new earth, ruling from Jerusalem with no day, no night. I can't even fathom that. No shadows. You know, a perfect world. And... I don't know. I'm not, I've told everybody I'm not the greatest artist and imagination person, so I just leave it for God saying what he says and don't try to figure it out. But all of this comes down to the kingdom of God. This is what the scribes and Pharisees are saying. Where is this kingdom? You're saying that you're Messiah. Where is this kingdom? We're not even seeing you gather an army, so where is this kingdom? How is this going to happen? And they did not realize that the kingdom was going to be future still that he was coming so that we could have the kingdom of God in us.
so that we are a representation of that kingdom of God as imperfect as it is. But we're looking forward to when the great kingdom does come. When we will get the rewards for our service. When we will get out there and live with him with all that he does. So what is our hope? Get to know Jesus. Get to know him and then our hope is the future kingdom, the, the eternal kingdom. We reign with him in, in the thousand year reign because we come back with him as his bride and we will reign with him. We have our glorified bodies then so we have no problem. And we'll reign for it with him and those who pass that test will go and stand before him as he destroys everything and starts a new heaven, a new earth. Perfect. And I'm looking forward to that one. I have no idea what it's going to be like, you know, but I'm looking forward to that day. Lord, we ask you to bless us as we go about our, our day this week. Teach us what you would want us to know and understand. Lord, teach us to let you reign and rule in our hearts so that we can see you and that others can see you in us. Give us opportunities to share you with others. Help us to be the leaders and, and followers of your kingdom. Lord, if there's anybody listening online that doesn't know you, or even in this room that doesn't know you, we ask that today they will turn their lives over to you. They will admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then give them the courage to share that with other people. And we just ask you to be with us as we go forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.